up, y'all? Hey, folks. Welcome to this most unbelievable podcast. We are your hosts, Paul Fitzgerald. And Sherry Spiegel. You're listening to season two, our first summer season. For the next few months, we'll take a look at a thread we began last season in our Rates of Things episode. We'll take several episodes to explore how we process and experience things. First in the body. Then in the mind. And finally, and most challengingly, in the heart. We would love your feedback, so please feel welcome to leave us a comment or a question on the Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or you can send us an email at thepaulandsherrypod at gmail.com. Of course, you can also find all of this on our website, thismostunbelievablelife.com. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. And if you like the show, we'd appreciate your rating on iTunes. Or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out, too. We're so glad you're joining us on this journey. And on with the show. And we're off. And we're doing it. Hey, Paul Fitzgerald. Hey, Sherry Spiegel. What is going on? What is going going on? on? It's not Podcast Tuesday. It's not. It's Podcast Thursday? Podcast Thursday. That's strange. It is so strange. We're kind of recording these out of order. But we make our own rules, Paul. We do make our own rules. And we had Podcast Tuesday this week. And now we're having Podcast Thursday. And that is because uh, we both feel like we got some stuff in us, I think. I think so. I think that there is also, I think part of what we're doing is we're starting to work ahead of schedule. And I think it's a kindness to ourselves and our brains. I think it is too. Yeah. Because I think we've realized Tuesday, Podcast Tuesday is so fun. But then frantically write show notes and post it for our listeners afternoon is less fun. I mean, it's fine. But I think we both feel this like, mental load of like oh my god we've got to get this thing out because of a deadline that we have imposed upon ourselves yeah and those are the deadlines that mean the most to us that we really uh put on ourselves i mean aren't all deadlines sort of imposed on ourselves maybe they are maybe they're not um but we uh we made a little bit of uh no i i shouldn't say it this way i was going to say we made a little bit of a fumble a couple of whenever that was last week or the week before we did the episode not on mm-hmm. Tuesday. It was like podcast Wednesday when when we hung out the other nice. day. Um, and we didn't immediately write the show notes and we waited a week. And it's like, I have no idea what we talked about in that one. So <laughs> thankfully, you came to the rescue right? and well, you kicked out some good show notes for that one. I was like, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this to remember what we talked about. And something about meetings in it. And then we didn't even mention the meetings in the, po- in the show notes. Yeah. Well, so that I wouldn't come say out, that uh, later on. Yeah, by the time people listen to that, they will already oh. have, or no, by the time people listen work? to this, yeah. they will they already, will have, already listened have listened to, to that, that one. Right. Cool. Yeah, so I wouldn't say that we made a fumble, but I do think this podcast is all about learning. Yeah, and the most this. recent thing we've learned is that if we do try to get ahead a little bit to give ourselves some wiggle room, we still need to write the show notes while it's fresh. Yeah, that's a good lesson to learn, I think, because yep. they're never going to be as... Well, I shouldn't say this. He wrote some pretty good show notes, but I was going to say, you know, it's it's good to just write them and not have to think about them because I was thinking about, ah, i got to write those show notes for several days and it was uh, kept creeping into uh, my mind and it was part of my mental load. 
It was. That I was carrying with me was, ah, I got to write those show notes. And how long does it take us to write show notes, Sherry? I mean, we've, I've talked about trying to put a little more uh, meat into these things, maybe put a little more context, whatever. Um, and maybe and- that'll be something that we do, but... 15 minutes, 20 minutes it takes to, to kick out show notes. And we usually do it right after we finish. We do. And I think, you know, sometimes if they do take more than 20 minutes, it's because in the middle of show notes, we end up like going and get be- getting beverages. Eric yeah. comes home and I take a pause to greet my husband. Uh, or we have like we go get a snack like or we end up bantering about something random. And then you have to say Spiegel focus. Spiegel focus. Spiegel focus. It's my favorite part of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, whether you're going to release uh, later on or uh, that evening, it's good to get something down. It's yeah. Good to get something down. If nothing else, then like a, some an outline or something, I guess. And I'm the worst at outline, so I'm not one to speak. But um, letting well, it wait a week before you actually get something down is makes it doesn't it doesn't mean you can't do it, but you do have to remember try to remind yourself of what you talked about. Or relying on uh, uh, cherished partners in relationships. Mm. Uh, well, to, I will tell you, you. You pulled some good ones out, but it's like, it's good to write them quickly while that striking when the iron is hot. There's something to be said for that. So I have a, the cherished partner has a confession. Yeah. Yeah. Totally re-listened to the first half of the episode oh, cool. before I wrote those. So <laughs> <laughs> I could have gotten away with that and just been like, yes, Paul, my memory is amazing. Yeah. Thank you for noticing. It's not. I re- I had a little bit of extra time yesterday. Or really, I just like, I needed to do something kind of mindless for a while. So I was like, I'll listen, listen to a listen conversation to a I already had. <laughs> I had nothing, you know, I need yeah. some mindless. I'll listen to our podcast. Right? Well, no, it, there's no mental work to re-listen to a conversation you've already had. Yeah, right. right. Like, you know, it's right. it's low low hanging fruit. Um, but I, you know, I think show notes are a really interesting thing, and I think they they sort of relate to what we sort of had in mind to talk about today, because all along, like, we both know that show notes are a thing that are probably good for our podcast, mm-hmm. though I don't think everyone has them. Not everyone does. Um. But, I, you know, for weeks, you've been like, oh, we should do this, we should do that, in terms of our, our, we should flesh them out more, we should give more thought to them. And I have not thought two things about our show notes, <laughs> like, I hardly think about them. But you have given yourself, like, these expectations I for have, what yeah. show notes should do. So, who assigned that mental labor to you, and oh, why have totally you taken me. it on? I, yeah. I, 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 it was, it's, I can answer both of those. It's totally okay. me. Yeah. Um, and who assigned that to me? Um, I, I mean, I listen to a number of podcasts. I mean, I, th- I think I'm probably, if any, with, with people who listen to podcasts, I suspect I'm not too far afield from the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I don't even know what, what I use um, for my podcast um, organizer on my phone. Uh, pocket casts is what I use. Mm-hmm. And I've got about 15 or 20 podcasts in there. I really listen to maybe four or five. Okay. You know, um, but even within the, and I suspect I'm, I'm not alone in that. Um, uh, and uh, some of them that I listen to have zero show notes. Mm-hmm. To like nothing, like absolutely nothing. It's like there's not even 
a thing here. At least two of them just have nothing. Um, but one of the podcasts that I really started listening to, and I've, I've mentioned this before, that I've been listening to quite a while, is uh, Ritual, the Ritual podcast. And that, too, does not put me in uh, unique company. I mean, he has, you know, gazillions of listeners. It's a very good podcast. Um, and his pod, his show notes are like uh, hyperlinked, contextualized backstory treatise. Every, 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 everything that he... T- he mentions is linked and referenced and uh, cross-referenced and, and sort of tied together. Um, so, uh, I mean, he is sort of is the patron saint of show notes, I think, with his. And it's like, oh, he's clearly doing it the right way. And so, you know, I admire this guy and the work that he does in his podcast and his accomplishments. So that's clearly how show notes should be. So I'm holding myself to a standard of somebody else, not myself. Um, I like more show notes than none, though. I mean, I do like at least, I mean, because our topics are weird. You know, I mean, they're not Thank weird, you for but I mean, they're, they're vague. They're vague, yeah. you know. And it's like, I have no, when you have an episode called Space, I mean, my <laughs> God, Sherry, what can, <laughs> is this like astrophysics are we talking about? You know, how much floor, how we, many square we, feet we, I have in my living room? I mean, what are we talking about here? So What's funny we, is we actually have two episodes about space now, and neither one of us is an astronomer. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's good, I think, to just give... And so what, I don't think we've ever really gone over a paragraph, you know, so... Uh, there was the most recent one... Well, by the time people listen to this, it will be two podcasts ago yeah. um, when we had the little call for our Spotify playlist. That yeah. was a separate paragraph, but that's yeah. the furthest we've been. Yeah, that's the furthest. But I, think, I think this is really interesting because uh, I don't read show notes, so I don't value them. Right? Like I, uh, I can think of exactly one podcast that I've listened to that I've actually gone and read the show notes for. Um, I basically, like, I look at who's speaking. I look at maybe the topic of the, the like, the title. But I never read show notes. If I wanted to read, I would get a book. Podcasts are interesting to me because I don't have to do the reading. Yeah, Why would the cool, I read a Yeah, thing? I mean, we do throw <laughs> out. You know, the only time I think about it when we're in process is we do throw out, you know, references to stuff. Last, last time we were talking about... Um, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, or were we, or somebody else? And we've talked about Rob Bell, and we've talked about Brené Brown, and we've talked about these other, other sort Rohr, of things. Yep. Richard mm-hmm. Rohr, and everyone's all it's like, I don't know, should we throw something out there? Or we just kind of let it, leave it to people to sort of come up with their own shoulds on what they want to do, and and, and track those things down. I don't it's know. so interesting because you would think that the English teacher, you know, whose responsibility it is to teach reference style within her classroom you'd think that i would want the in-text citation to match the work cited page um because that's kind of what you're talking about now is like oh well if we reference these people we should clearly footnotes in our podcast footnotes in our and i'm like yeah sure sure or our listeners can do their own homework um but i think that there's probably space for like i mean I think our show notes find a nice happy medium. I'm happy to put in more show notes as we have time. But I do think the interesting thing about show notes is it's self-imposed homework. It is. It is. And those are the assignments that I think we give ourselves that 
are the ones, and I, I think a lot of times we don't even know we're giving ourselves those those assignments. Um, but those are the ones that people tend to stick to, I think. But I mean, that just might be what sort of personality type you you have. I mean, this is uh, Gretchen Rubin's four four tendencies, mm-hmm. right? Whether you live at your own expectations or other people's expectations, and whether you're a rebel, or you don't want to live by anybody's expectations, including your own. Or you're an upholder or a questioner or sort of whatever. Um, but uh, I, I do sort of put these expectations on, on myself and I do give myself due dates. And I don't like it when I don't meet them. But I, I also can kind of get over it. Get over it. Notice there are no links in any of the show notes so far. We're on episode, what, 20 or 21? And it's like I've yet to actually do something about it. So uh, that's that's what that means. And when, when it when it gets to the point where it's intolerable for me for me to not, I guess that's what I will. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those deadlines we put on ourselves that take up, take up mental space can get in the way of us spending that energy, that mental space on other things, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think it's deadlines are a really good example. I think it's just generally expectations. Like, um, one of the things that I feel like I've been thinking about a lot is what expectations do I have for myself and where do those expectations come from? Um, and not all of my expectations uh, seem to actually come from me or even from real people. Yeah. Um, so I will often find myself saying things like, well, folks want me to, or people expect me to. And I have a couple of like really good trusted friends will say, what people? Like, who mm-hmm. has said this to you? Um, and often in those mental check moments, I realize that my brain has created an invisible army of people with expectations. Mm-hmm. And this invisible army doesn't actually like they haven't invested in like they're invisible they're fake there's no reason i should be living for fake people yeah right yeah mm-hmm. right um yeah. you can't you can't have a conversation with them to come up with an alternative right you know you can't um, compromise no yeah um you can't offer counter suggestions uh right you're right yeah. to them huh. You know, um, or I mean, this is the the should that we often talk about exercising from our lives. I should do this, or it's like I. It'll just I mean, the show notes are a perfect example. I should do this. Why? Who's telling me I should do this? You know, what is what is behind this? Is it me, or is it somebody else, or is it my idea of what good podcasters do? Is they have clearly what you know? So I've built this sort of model in my own head about what what good competent podcasters do and Mm -hmm. this is now this this model that i have to aspire to um and no part of that model is actually based on on me it's entirely based on not other people but what i think other people are thinking when they're when they're doing what they do and Mm -hmm. all i have to go with is the finished product of what other people are doing and i'm trying to hold you know this smush together composite finished product um, as, as some sort of destination that I will only have, you know, solved this, solved this problem of how, what do you need to do to do a good podcast? And, and if I, if I figure that out and, and start doing it that way, 
and anything mm-hmm. anything less than that is substandard in my in my opinion and the whole thing is bullshit sherry i mean the whole (laughs) the whole idea is bullshit i mean i don't want to you know well i don't but it's still real it's still this thing it's like yeah i still feel it i (laughs) i still want to flush out these show notes but i have no idea why and you know for the five people who would notice you know i hope it does good but well i mean i think you should be kinder to yourself but i also think um calling it bullshit what is what good does that serve you um but there is, I mean, you know, oh, good show notes are the sign of a good podcast. I don't know. When people talk about podcasts to me, they never say, you should listen to this podcast because, boy, they write the best show notes, mm. right? Like, so, I mean, should we be kind to our listeners? Yes. Should, um, would, I am not going to use should, uh, would show notes that are a little more robust serve a good purpose? Probably. Um, is that, are our show notes why people will listen? No. We do it to be, so I mean like any time that I think we, we try to up something like the show notes, I think we just have to know why we're doing it. We're doing it to be kinder to our listeners. We're not doing it because that's what good podcasts do. Yeah. I think that's optional. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, the other way we've shitted ourselves a little bit is we've been saying for weeks, we we should get one in the bag. We should get one that's already been recorded. That, I like your like, use of the word we. That was mostly me, I think. Was, well, I thought it. I just haven't. Yeah. You haven't. Maybe you think it's just you that thinks it, but I've been thinking it, too. Yeah, well, you're going to vacate next week, so. You're I am. But, you know, what's interesting about that, right, is so. I'm going on a vacay next week. Well, it's really a staycation. Yeah, By the time people listen, means. I will already be done. Um, but so my, my dear husband knows that this podcast brings me joy, right? And so he's like, you know, you and Paul can totally record while we're on staycation. And I'm like, I know, but I should. I should take a week off. Yeah. And I'm not even sure that's true because I look forward to it so much. Why would we deny ourselves the right? Right? Yeah. Um, but I've told yeah. myself I should give Eric a week where I'm not... What? He doesn't care. Yeah. He he likes to see me happy. This makes me happy. Yeah. But I have all these weird expectations of what I ought to do. Yeah. And um, I, another podcast I was listening to recently, right, um, was talking about... Um, like there was a section on on stand up stand up comedy stand up you know live stand up mm-hmm. and uh what what they were saying in there is they don't like to take a lot of days off if you take like 3 days off it's like you start getting out of the you start losing your your edge you know you start losing your edge and i mean this is our what fourth in 2 weeks yeah we're i think kinda... that we're that we're putting the way but you know we started this it's like yeah i mean it feels like it's good it feels like it's flowing feels like something's in us uh, pull the pin let it rip i mean if you got it in you and you got you got some time mm-hmm. why why wait till tuesday because it's not podcast it's, it's not podcast tuesday so we can't record today even though we both feel like it and even though it's it, we got something to to talk about today and right yeah it's like we're denying ourselves because of some like some made-up rule like we make the rules here paul yeah. At this most unbelievable life, we make the rules. 
I think you're right. I think we might. Would you say, Sherry, that other people have the right to make their own rules as well? Or is it really just us? I think I think everyone has the right to make their own rules. Um, and I think everybody should be responsible for creating their own rules. Now, in order to live in community with other people, you have to figure out who you're willing to negotiate rules with. Mm-hmm. Um, this is interesting because uh, on the mirror in my bathroom... Uh, the only bathroom we have because we live in a one bedroom with one bath. My husband and I have a dry erase marker written on our mirror and it says, uh, boundaries are good for everyone. We make our own rules. Love ain't pie. Team Spiegel forever. Um, and that's like, I think our household. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Love it. The, like, if you can abide by those four principles, like if you believe in those four things, I think you're welcome in our house. Yeah, you're going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. Boundaries are good for everyone. We here make our own rules. Love is not pie. Actually, I prefer it as love ain't pie. Love ain't Very pie, important. yeah. And team Spiegel forever. If you can abide by those four rules, because they are the rules we make up, yeah. you're welcome in our house. I think so, everybody probably must have their rules, but... Yeah. I think it's important. Yeah, everybody should make up their own rules. Do you think everybody feels like they're entitled to make their own rules? Um, I don't know if everyone feels like... um, I don't know if it's entitlement or not. I don't know if people... I don't know if many people feel like they can. Mm -hmm. I don't know if a lot of people feel like they can. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had numerous occasions where, you know, it's dawned on someone in front of me through no fault of my own that coming up with their own rules on how they're going to navigate their time on this earth um the 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 ability the knowledge that they're they have an ability to do that dawns on them and it can be life-changing and it's like you mean i can i don't have to do this thing that you know i thought i know you don't have to do that thing um you do get to make up your own your own rules and so I, I don't know if it's always the case that people um, know that they can, but they don't know how to do it. I think a lot of times it's like people actually don't know that they can, that mm-hmm. rules are things that they can come up on their on their own. In all these rules that are out there are not necessarily rules that um, have been in place since the beginning of time. Maybe there's a couple, you know, I think it's widely understood that like cannibalism isn't a great idea, but that's really <laughs> just for humans. I mean, other things do it. Um, but I mean, not to get ridiculous, but um, there are very few universal, universally known and assumed rules, I think. And every other rule that out there is something that somebody made up. I mean, if you look at the Bill of Rights or the Constitution or whatever it is, it's like, oh, these are the governing documents of our nation, you know, and these are the rules that we live by. You know, they're written badly, I think. Uh, so they're, they're open to extraordinary, you know, interpretation. Uh, but but rules nonetheless. Um, rules nonetheless, um, for, for good or ill. And... Uh, each one of those just started as some ideas in somebody's head on what they thought would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know, the consensus came later. Consensus came later. And 
uh, they've been sort of universally agreed upon by some people, I think, um, or at least enough to legislate to be something that is uh, sort of become part of the fabric of the the land in which we live. But there are still rules that can be changed, that can be mal that can be malleable, that can be interpreted, that can be changed, and can be abandoned. I mean, yeah. amendments have been erected and repealed. Um, but it's like you know, you know what? This is a good idea. A couple of years later, you know what? Maybe that's not a good idea. Uh, that's not working for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens, and, and people have the same right. And when when people realize that when they're walking around, all of these social norms, all of these what they think is a good idea based on who they think they are, what somebody else has told them, once those become negotiable, that can be life changing for people. Mm-hmm. And once yeah. you make your first rule, you know, that is your rule, that is like, you're going to, I'm going to live my life this way. It's going to save me a lot of hassle. It's going to save me a lot of pain. And it's going to save me a lot of time that's not wasted that I can spend on other things that are more meaningful to me. My God, the first time that it happens, it's like you found the fountain of youth. Mm-hmm. You've discovered Shangri-La. When you discover that, you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think setting your own rules is like this the first step towards like sort of actualizing your existence. Like I know the most uncomfortable I've ever been in different spaces and moments of my life have been in spaces and moments of my life where I've been living by rules that I didn't create or I didn't actually agree to, but someone else had in place and they changed like for different reasons they just didn't align with who I was Mm -hmm. or how I wanted to see the world. Um, And I can think of lots of, like, you know, I can think of lots of different contexts that this has happened. Like, you know, it can be something as silly as, like, you know, small groups of friends in the neighborhood, like, and realizing their interests and my interests don't align because of whatever. Um, or, you know, it's religious institutions where I never quite felt like I could be me and still fit in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with because I start with what are, what are the rules of this community? And then I ask, can I live with those? Instead of what are the rules that I want to live my life by? Which communities are appropriate for me? Mm-hmm. Um, It's taken me a long time to start with, like, well, how do I actually think and feel? And what rules sort of jive? Like, which ones resonate, like, really actually vibrate in my body and feel true to me? When did you start thinking about that? I mean, when did that, when in your experience did that start sort of washing into you? I think that's a good question. Um... It depends on, I'm kind of a slow learner. Um, So there are moments where I started to sense it. And then there's when I think that I've finally started to accept it. And I think those two things are different. What was the sensing? You were sensing that? So I think, um, I think sometime in high school, I started to sense that other people's rules for sort of behavior, appropriateness, what was good and decent and valuable in life 
and my own internal desires just didn't line up. Mm. Right? Like, so, you know, early things like, um, you know, I remember, like, women that I knew talking about being a parent as being, like, the best part of being a woman. Right. Was, like, being a mom. And I remember, like, just always having a sense that, that actually sounds terrible to me. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the worst possible thing. Um, and so for a long time, I lived with the guilt that I didn't want to be a mom. And I made a rule that I was broken because other people's sense of reality, other people's sense of satisfaction didn't fit me well. And so I assumed there was something wrong with me. Until, you know, the older I've gotten, the more I've met other people like me who are like, yeah, no, that was never really my path. Right. Um, or, you know, the less talked about. I've met people who have had children who have told me, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be, actually. Yeah. Comes with know? some downsides. Yeah, it comes with some downsides. It's, it's always a sentence like, I love my children, but. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, Being a, and, having been a child myself, I understand completely. Right. Like, I mean, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, little things like that. Um, just, and I don't think I'm unique necessarily. I think lots of people go through these pockets of time in their life where they look around and all of a sudden everyone around them feels foreign to them mm-hmm. because they aren't reflecting what sort of something, some sort of internal drive is telling them about how they want to live and breathe in the world yeah so i think i first noticed it in high school but i don't think it's been until the last like maybe four years that i feel like i have grown into the ability to say this is what i do want this is what i don't want and that's that's just true to who i am it doesn't mean anything about my value yeah, and it's interesting to find yourself in that position when you're in it because, I mean, occasionally you, I mean, we can talk about how um, every second of your life is a decision that you make and you're either going to go left or you're going to go right and it's going to, the rest of your life is going to be based on whatever you decide to do. Are you going to eat the tacos or are you going to get, you know, a, a hot dog? Well, I don't know, you know, but Always this tacos. snowballing content, yeah, these snowballing consequences and... um at the same time, we do occasionally find points in our in our life when you're you're sort of stopped at a crossroads and you know you are, and it's mm-hmm. you really have to do this little reconciliation. Okay, what am I gonna do here in this situation? And that's when everything sort of feels like it stops a little bit, and you feel more presciently. I think the consequences. Well, not necessarily what the consequences of, of what you're going to do are going to be, because I don't think you really know those. But the fact that you are making a consequential decision mm-hmm. um, and what is the basis of that decision. And that usually comes down to, for me, when I find myself, is this, am I going to do what I'm going to do based on what other people, what I've seen other people do and what... Um, 
expectations of me might be, possibly from someone, possibly from circumstances, possibly from seeing other people, you know, respond in, in, in to situations in the past that are similar. Or um, am I going to do what I think is best for me with, with who I am? And it's very easy when you're not in that to say, well, be true to yourself. Do the thing that, you know, is, is true to you. You should just kind of be honest with yourself and do what Follow you feel like bliss. is true. Yeah, follow your bliss, which is shockingly scary, hard, challenging, terrifying, because, I mean, you have no idea what the outcome is going to be. And uh, to to trust yourself enough to say, okay, this is who I am, so this is what I'm going to do, um, is hard. It's hard to do. And I think the only way to know that you that's something you can do is to try it once or twice, twice and, and survive. Mm-hmm. And survive and, and see that you okay. I lived through that. <laughs> I, I literally lived through it, and uh, nothing horrible happened. Uh, except I'm on the other side of of whatever this decision was, and I'm still alive, and I was true to myself. So clearly, nothing bad happened. And if I can do that, my God, what else can I? You know, what else can I uh, trust myself to take responsibility for in my decision making? Mm-hmm. Do you have rules? What, what's a rule that you have for yourself? I got, I got a couple. It's like a sherry rule. Do you have any? You, well, I mean, I told you the Team Spiegel rules, right? Right. That are on the whiteboard. Um, that's a good question. Um, I know I do, but now, like, trying to come up with them on the spot, all I'm thinking about are like me and Eric's rules. And the rules you and I have created, right? right. Like, so we have some rules, like one hundred percent or it's no. That's yeah, it's hundred percent or it's no. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Okay, give me one of your rules, and I'll see if I can come up with what what are some sherry rules. Here's one of my rules that I have. I don't have many. Paul, rule number one. I'm a simple man. I don't have very many rules. Um, I was gonna say that cannot be your rule because I <laughs> veto that rule. Okay. Uh, uh, this is a rule that goes back quite a ways. Yeah, this this is a, a rule that goes back quite a ways, and I don't know when I first came up with it, but um, it clearly was born out of situations in my life that were causing anxiety or stress or whatever it might be. Never listen to uh, the stories that your mind tells you in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and your head's telling you something. You have to do this thing. This one thing is really important. You must. You actually have to get up and do this thing right now. Never, when it's dark outside, if it's dark out, never listen. <laughs> never listen to a thing your head says in the middle of the night. You know, and it's like, it, it's it's still very very pulling when when you when when I have it. So it's like, again, you wake up in the middle of the night and really angsted out and really anxious over this thing and really worried about this thing that's going on, whatever it is. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm going to wake up in the morning. The sun's going to be up. And this is going to go from a nine on the urgency scale to like literally a two. Um, and almost every time, I think what I say almost just to be conservative, I think it probably is every time. Um, it's like, yeah, that's not nearly as, as big of a deal as I thought it was when I woke up in the middle of the night. But it's quiet and you're by yourself and you're laying down and your mind is free to spin itself up into whatever 
whipped mm-hmm. topping it would like to grace you with at the, at the moment. So my rule is just, you know what? Never listen to anything your head says in the middle of the night. Well, I like that that points to the, to the way in which the brain can tell us, the brain can point towards urgency and can convince us that something is a dire situation. Um, and some things that I will, maybe in the middle of the night or whenever they come to me, I feel like it is a life or death situation. I have to like figure this thing out right this minute. And most things that the brain has presented me with that feel that way can actually wait, right? Yeah, like, yeah they all can. So. Yeah, like they're very, um, I'm not a brain surgeon or any kind of surgeon actually. Yeah. Um, so most of the decisions I have to make will not cause a human being to live or die. Yeah, right, right. Right, like so, so there's no, like if my brain does wake me up in the middle of the night, like going back to sleep is not a risky choice. Right. Because no one's going to die because I got two more hours of sleep. Yeah. And for me, I mean, the solution just, I don't know if this is because of the job I got or how I interact with, with people around me. Uh, I mean, this is pre COVID. Um, <laughs> the thing that my brain usually wants me to do is get up and, you know, send some emails to do some commu- <laughs> some communication kind of stuff. It's like, so what am I going to do? I'm going to get up at 2.30 in the morning and send an email. They're not going to read it until mm-hmm. whatever. And it's probably going to be one email amongst a thousand uh, unread ones in their inbox that day. Whatever it is, you're up at 2.30 in the morning thinking about this other person. I can pretty much guarantee they are not doing the same. They're not up mm-hmm. at 2.30 thinking about you. Right. You know? Um, or if the, they are, that's their problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's their problem if they are. So, I mean, it's not like sending that email solves some sort of problem because, you know, we we kind of tell these stories about, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to finally do this thing that I've been thinking about and it's been on my mind and it's keeping me awake and I'm going to do it at 2.30 in the morning because it's uh, it's something that's preoccupying my thoughts right now and then the problem's going to be solved it's like they're probably not going to read it for a couple of days anyway well don't you, know? you think that email is a particular mental toxin though absolutely like absolutely it is i think you and i have talked about email a, a little bit recently uh particularly we talked about it yesterday um and maybe today too we've been talking about email a lot but You know, I think that a significant amount of people carry a lot of mental load just around inboxes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you ask a person, when's the last time you had inbox zero? Watch. Watch all of, like, we probably, like, we trigger our listeners. Like, there are probably people (laughs) listening who are, like, bristling at this thought, right? Because either... It is the goal they're always working towards, and it's why they keep opening their inbox all day long, because they've got to keep it maintained. Right. Or they can't remember, like, you know, the last time they had a clear inbox, and maybe it was when they had a Juno.com account. Yeah, right. Right? Um, People have this, like, sense. And one of my rules, I, I don't know if it's a rule, but one of the things that I've been saying to myself um, for a couple of years now is... I do not want at my funeral people to say, wow, 
she was really good at responding to email. Yeah. Like, if that's what people have to say about me when I'm dead, I have totally ruined and thrown away this life. Yeah, you've wasted your life. You've wasted but how life. much of our life, like, how early in the morning do people open their inbox? And how many people go to bed with their inbox being the last thing they see? Like, one of the things that I'm trying to get really good at is uh, not checking my email before I get out of bed. Like, mm -hmm. the first thing I do when I get up in the morning should be greet the day and greet my husband. It should not be, you know, discover new reasons to be anxious by yeah, opening right. my inbox. <laughs> see who wants my time. I'm going to see who wants my time today. Who who hasn't earned the right to it, let's be honest. Yeah. Often, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you pointed me towards a podcast about email just yesterday. Do you want to yeah, tell our snippet. listeners? It was a little snippet. It was uh, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert was on uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast, I guess, a month or two ago, you know. Um, and uh, she has this little, about a ten, what is it, 10 minutes, about five minute, 10 minute mm -hmm. snippet on her relationship with her email inbox. I want to, to close the loop before we get into this. Sherry, um, when is the last time you had inbox zero? It's been ages. It's been years, right? It was uh, today. Today? Yes. Today. I set you, I set you up for that one. Um, mm -hmm. You did. Um, how, how, before we go on, how close did you get yesterday? I got close. I, mean, I haven't been at zero in a very long time. I was at six. I was at six. Six? But I started I the day at like 75, so I was on a tear yesterday. That is pretty good. But I feel like before we get to the weekend, Paul, what if you had inbox zero this well, week? Well, yeah, you, you queued me up to the tasks. So some of, that's what some of these six are, just like dumb little tasks. And it was like, yeah, use red, the instead task of to the tasks, feature. you know, yeah. you do that. But anyway, um, Gilbert. So, uh, so Elizabeth Gilbert was, was talking about... Um, when she gets an unsolicited email in her inbox um, and she doesn't know how it got there and how did this person get my email address? Why are they emailing me for this? Uh, this was an un, uninvited guest in their inbox. Um, her relationship with that is to just delete it. You don't owe them anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same as, as finding somebody in your house who is uninvited. You walk downstairs uh, in the morning to your kitchen and there's somebody sitting at your at your table asking for, for breakfast. It's like, get the hell out of my house, you know? And uh, when, when an unsolicited email shows up in your inbox, um, and if, oh, mm, I'm going to decline this one. So I'm going to respond and I'm going to say that I'm going to decline and these are five reasons why. And uh, even if it's a no, whatever they're asking for, I need to tell them why it's a no. And she's like, why? Why? Just delete it. You don't owe these people anything. You don't owe anyone anything. You know, and to and to put yourself in the position of feeling like you do, that you have to offer a kind and compassionate response because it's a courteous thing to do. You're just shooting all over yourself. Okay. You know, you're literally rewarding bad behavior. You're rewarding bad behavior. Uh, you're enabling your own loss of, of time and, and self-respect with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think that, yeah, you're totally right. I mean... One of the things that I kind of put in my self-care plan for 2020 um, is an idea that I really stole from my friend Melanie, which is the idea that we are all 
precious, and she says limited, I like the word finite, mm-hmm. uh, precious and finite resources. And so, you know, I really do, while I don't want my, you know, eulogy to mention the fact that I respond to emails, yeah. I do want to be known as someone who is kind and who is responsive and who makes people feel welcome. Like that's important to me. But one of the things that I've started to realize is that if I am available to everyone, it really means I am less available to the people who have really invested in me enough to where they, you know, they deserve like, sometimes the best part of me, right? Like, you know, sometimes what will happen, uh, especially during the academic year, I will give so much of myself all day long that by the time I get home and I look at this human that I chose to spend my life with, Mm -hmm. I have nothing left. Like, I don't have words left. Um, And so that's a choice I make. Like, if, if I give little bits of myself to these randos who are flooding my inbox... Mm-hmm. part of like what I'm doing is choosing to give less time. Um, a couple podcasts ago, I mentioned that I have like five core humans that are like, you know, are my peeps. And mm-hmm. so like the more I give away to other people, the, the less I have for them. Right. The less right. I have for myself. Yeah. How would you feel at your, uh, at your, at your... How would you feel if at your funeral? <laughs> <laughs> let's plan my funeral, yeah, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yep, let's plan that. Like, what, how would you feel if at your funeral someone said, wow, Sherry, she really respected her time? I'd feel a bit better than she really responded to email. Yeah. Yeah, and, or, you know, Sherry always made time for the people she loved the most. Right? Yeah. Like, um... I think that that's a hard thing to do. Um, You know, I can think of a lot of contexts where I have been talking to people who are hurting. And part of the reason that they are hurting is because they just want time from the people they love most, right? Mm -hmm. So, So maybe it's people wishing their parents had taken more time with them. Or maybe it's people wishing their spouse took more time with them or that their professors spent Mm -hmm. more time. Mm -hmm. You know, like people want sustained engagement from one another. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm. So Um, how are we tackling our inboxes? I don't know how we're tackling our inboxes. Um, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've had this written on my dry erase board up here in front of me for quite a long time. It just says zero inbox up there, as if that's some sort of goal um, that that I have. And and you do by Friday, it's going to happen. And I do. That is a goal for me. And I do appreciate that other people have different relationships with it. And it, you know, not having it at zero causes more angst in other people than it might someone else. Um, but I always saw it as something that I'd like to do is have like none. And I fully realize that as soon as it gets to zero, somebody's going to email me and it's not going to, not going to be there. So I'm not sure why I'm constantly chasing something that is only going to exist for such fleeting 
periods of time. But that's why we used to go to good restaurants when we used to go eat out, right? Because it's like I'm going to have this ephemeral, blissful experience that I'm going to enjoy. And then I'm going to move on from there and eat the same junk I've been eating for the last 50 years after that of the next meal. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't worth it to do it. I don't know. I'm still trying to come up with my own sort of relationship with what that means. I, well, I, think I don't, I don't know to... why. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what my goal is. To, well, with, with it. I don't know what the objective of that is, but it feels like something that I want to do because it makes me feel like I'm responsible and that's something that I'm chasing because I I worry whether or not people think that I am. I, I, I don't know. Like what yeah. I don't know what lives at the core of, of that expectation I put on myself. To, I think for me, inbox zero represents the first step in renegotiating my relationship to my email. And mm. so every time I reach it, which I often have inbox zero, um, and I have, I'm always developing an ongoing, I mean, maybe that's what I do have a lot of rules for is my ongoing development of my email policy and how I, how I deal with email. Um, and I, I need my inbox to be zeroed out for a lot of reasons, but, um, every time I reach it, um, I usually celebrate it. I often post about it on Facebook. And I have like, I have two or three friends who always comment. And it's the same I've people seen, every yeah, time. I think I've seen, who are like, I'm going to totally ruin this for you. And, you know, they do. And let's be clear. At the moment that Paul texts me and says, Inbox Zero, how will I resist? Right? Yeah. Having the honor of ruining that for you. But anyway, um, I, I do think that once you get there, then you get to have the agency to determine your email policy, like, again, like starting fresh. And yeah, so for slate. me, yeah, clean slate it. Yeah, one of the choices that I'm trying to make now about email, um, and maybe you have thoughts on this that you already uh, use, is I'm trying to figure out how often uh, do I open my inbox? Do you have notifications set up to where when you get a new email, are you letting the are you letting the influx of email alert you or are you going to it? Um, when will you check email? How many times a day? How long will you allow yourself to spend there? Do you have policies on that? Well, there's two. There's a couple more that I can think of. Um, mm -hmm. So often. Um, I would notice this and I think I would do it myself. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you show up at your job in the morning or show up in, your, in a workspace in the morning? You open your email to see what people want or what's going on or to get plugged in or whatever it might be. Um, after you see that, do you leave it open or do you then close it? And that gets, it sort of plugs back into the um, how often, how many times during the day mm -hmm. do, you, do you check it? But many people just leave it open. Leave yep. it open. Under no circumstances will I ever have notifications on for email on my phone. It's like, why would I do that to myself? You know, walk around all day with, with pings going off. Hey, you have an email. Well, no shit. So, I mean, when you're never at inbox zero, you're perpetually going to have that email thing on the top of your of your phone. It's like, why? Why? It, it serves no purpose at this point. Yeah, I know. Um but just leaving it open all day, right? When you're sitting at your desk or in front of a laptop or whatever it might be. And as soon as an email comes in, you stop what you're doing to rush over to that. And, you know, I can I can make an equivalency here with something else. Um, when your phone rings, do you answer it? 
-hmm. you know, and this was something that went back pre-cell phone. I mean, you'd be sitting around the dinner table, you know, in 1985 with in your phone was like hardwired into the wall of your house. And so you didn't have, I mean, I remember when caller ID was fancy and it was a separate Mm -hmm. box that you had to get. Um, uh, I don't know if we ever really had one of those. But, I mean, when the phone rings, you're in the middle of dinner with your family at 6 p.m. and your phone rings. Um, and so somebody, ooh, the phone's ringing and you get up and you would go and answer it. And whoever calls you at whatever hour of the day or night that might be is clearly the most important thing going on right there. Or more important than dinner with your family or what TV show you're watching because, you know, you don't have VCRs in those days. Whatever yeah. it might be. And there was something sacred about somebody wanting your attention right now that one felt like one had to give it to them. And that mm-hmm. goes, um, and, and so the rule was never, well, the, the guideline was never, don't feel like you always have to answer your phone. If it rings, you don't always have to. It was always, right. don't call during the dinner hour because it's rude, because then somebody's going to answer it and you're going to take away from their dinner. And so it's like the, the attention was put on, don't call people during dinner from, you know, you don't have to answer that. Because it was assumed that you're going to answer it every time it rings. Yeah. And I think email is the same way. You know, yeah. when you email somebody, you need to respond in the next 24 hours or you're going to be a bad person and you're not contributing to society and you're a bad citizen. And don't you know that people want things from you and they need things from you in order to do their jobs? And how rude is it of you to not respond? You yeah. know, and people are going to, and you know, and what if we went from, hey, you know, uh, you do a lousy job with email oh, I'm sorry, to, oh, you do a lousy job responding to the email. Oh, thank you. I put a lot of boundaries on that, and I only respond very selectively, if at all. Yeah. Especially or, the unsolicited things. I mean, that would change stuff. That would change everything. Yeah. Or just being real with people that maybe email isn't the best way to get a hold of you. You know, like, yeah. I um, I think I'm trying to get a little more up to speed about what kind of what kind of communication works for me and what doesn't? And um, I hate email. I just really do. Like, I'll send email. You know, email is a platform that has yeah, its that's purpose. The, yeah, it's got some properties that are advantageous. But... Right. But, like, you know, even with my students, like, a lot of times I will tell them my inbox can be a zoo. Like, they're – so I used to use Google Classroom. And I had, there's like a messaging mechanism within that. In Canvas, you can send notifications. Um, For my students, I often tell them like the best way to get a hold of me is either to send me a message through Canvas directly Mm -hmm. or to just show up in my office. Like that's the best way to get a hold of me. Like email, um, I, I often, when I'm at work, don't have my email open because I'm trying to be present in the moment that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to be present for the humans that are in that physical space. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when you're working on your stuff and you got your email open and it pops up that you got a new email and you drop what you're doing and you go to your email to not even respond to it, but to check and see what it was. Yeah. What does that tell you about how you value your own time and your own interests and your own activities? Where do they come in line? I can answer well, that. They come in last. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's actually, I mean, there's research about what happens to us when we're constantly distracted oh, by yeah. that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like that interruption, we think it's innocuous, but it's not. 
and it actually takes a load on us. And, um, you know, I think days when I have um, my inbox open and I'm constantly watching what's coming in and, you know, I have my phone like not on silent. So I'm seeing, um, you know, I have messages that come into me from iMessenger, from Facebook Messenger and from WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and so I have all this input coming in this way. Maybe someone's calling me, you know, the inbox. I already have my own mental to do list of what I need to or want to get done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I will spend what feels like half a day just managing notifications. Yeah. Right. And then I wonder when I get to not even the know, content, just the notifications. Yeah, just managing like, oh, oh, there's another email. Oh, there's another text message. Oh, you know, um, I'll get to lunch and be like, what have I actually accomplished today? I have accomplished being aware of who is interested in corresponding with me. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, um, and what I find uh, like and part of this is because I've always held myself to the expectation that being available is a virtue. It's what makes me lovable is that I'm available to people. Mm. Um, And that works until I burn out and I have to like disconnect from everyone and recharge myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like one of the things I'm trying to do this summer is never reach a point where I need to, feel like that I'm totally burnt out and just have to take. Like for me, it is a symptom that I have not been taking care of myself. If I need to take two days and just watch TV, that is not a natural course of my life. That is a mm-hmm. sign that I am ill. Yeah, right. <laughs> Mentally. Yeah, you're cooked. Yeah. I'm cooked. Yeah. Cooked out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, but I think, you know, is it easy for you to have boundaries? Because that's what this is about. It is It is about that. Um, historically, no. But uh, new, newly discovered attention being paid to that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, boundaries are pretty high on my list right now. So and... what do boundaries look like for you and why are they important to you? I mean, I mean, there there are lines I, I I won't cross. It's like this is if I if I see that something is happening, it will come to a very swift end um, once it's once it's recognized. And it's hard to recognize. I mean, if you do have boundaries, it's it's hard to know when you're on the far side of them. If I mean, you don't pay attention to them if you if you don't uphold them if you don't constantly challenge yourself with them. And um, for me, they look like, well, I don't even know. Um, it's, it always seems to be the result of a lesson learned. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, whew, don't do that again. I'm going to set some boundaries up here. But it's, it's about paying attention to where your time is going and whether you have the, you, you're doing this thing for whatever reason, but you really want to do this other thing that you love and you can't find any time for it. Why not? You know, um, why not? And, Boundaries are not always like, I'm going to set some boundaries and everything is going to be fine. That's not always the way that it goes. Those boundaries can be hard to set Mm -hmm. and they can come from a little bit of pain because 
you coming up with boundaries is one thing, but as soon as other people start interacting with those boundaries, then their world is going to shake in a little bit, a little bit too, because you're different than it used to be. You didn't used to do this. You always used to kind of whatever. It's like, yeah, well, I don't anymore because I respect yeah. myself. You should too. And, um, they're, they're hard won. Boundaries are hard mm-hmm. won. Um, they're always, they always seem to be with me the result of a cautionary tale. And a lesson learned or whatever, whatever it might be. But you can feel, I can feel in my body when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm leveraging a boundary in a particular situation. It's like, nope, I'm not doing this. This is on the far side of what I, um, can tolerate for myself. And this is not the way this is going to go. This is, we're not going to do mm-hmm. this thing. The answer is no. And so that's why I really like our, it's 100% yes or it's no. Yeah. Because you know when things are not 100% yes. It's like, I don't know. This person's asking me for this thing. It's going to take a lot of time. Uh, I'm really not hugely interested in it. But, you know, I they asked me nicely. So, yeah, sure. It's like, yep. that's a no. That should have been a no. Uh, should have been way. a no. Yeah, that should have been a no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was talking to a friend this week about how the one person in the world that I am the most cruel to is future Sherry. Hmm. Which the irony of this is that I always tell my students that they should not be cruel to future them, right? Because future you has never done anything wrong, right? right? Like future you is innocent. But what we do is we pile up responsibilities for future us to deal with. Yeah. And so we, because we're unwilling to have the discomfort of saying no in this minute, we penalize future us with the responsibility of doing the thing. Yeah, it's like uh, destroying the environment, you know, today. And what are we leaving for our future generations? It's like, well, what are you leaving for yourself next week? Yeah. Or tomorrow yeah. or later on today. It's like take yeah. responsibility for your own self now. So mm-hmm. the future you, I like that a lot, Sherry. Um, the future you is not burdened by this. Mm-hmm is not burdened by this this task that you've imposed on it imposed on it because that's what it is it's an imposition yeah and that's like i'm thinking a lot about my fall semester right now and how do i go into the fall semester as the healthiest academic i can yeah right like that's what i'm trying to figure out and i'm not trying to figure that out for what has worked for me in the past i'm not trying to figure that out for what other people have as best practices for productive faculty. I'm trying to figure out what's the healthiest version of me as an academic that I can come up with. And that academic is going to have to have a lot of boundaries. Yeah. But what happens to me a lot of times in the summer is I'm going into my inbox, be it my, you know, official work inbox or my personal account And I'm saying yes to a lot of things that I will do in September or October. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, I'm in the summer state of mind. I'm in July. Um, And so I will promise a lot of things to September and October. And by the time I get to the end of October, I burn out every year. And I'm just, I spend the month of November every year angry yeah, at the world. It's agonizing. Yeah. And the only person I need to be angry at is july sherry who says yes to everything yeah um so this year like i'm just i'm saying no to a lot of things both for summer sherry and for false sherry you have this uh what was that the the no 
the no worksheet where every time you say no to 10 things, you get to treat yourself to pizza? Yeah, so, so my, it's a, it's the, it's the service chart. Uh, and it's actually a friend of mine, Darcy, uh, made this and she sent it to me. So all credit to Darcy, uh, who is a magical human, uh, in Wisconsin. Um, and she basically, she has like a little chart where you can track the things you've said yes to, and then you track the things that you say no to. And when you get 10, you get to throw yourself a pizza party. And as you track yeses, you are penalized with, having to do the thing you said yes to. Yeah, it's the worst punishment of all is having to do the thing you said yes to. But you know what else I'm noticing is that um, people are actually far more receptive to no than I would have thought. Um, Like, I've said no to things uh, this summer. Like, one of the things I said no to uh, is happening next week. And... um, you know, one of my favorite humans in the entire world is, um, he's my academic brother. He is a, he's the chair of a professional organization. And he reached out to me and a few other people and asked us if we would lead this workshop on self-care. And I said, in the interest of self-care, I'm going to say no. Yeah. Uh, Cause I had committed to a week off, uh, you know, with my husband uh, and my dear friend Mark wrote back and said, boo, um, and made fun of me a little bit, but it was all in jest. And uh, these other great humans are doing the workshop, and I know it will be wonderful. Um, the service will still happen. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's part of, like, learning to have boundaries requires accepting that you're only one human in the entire universe. How mm-hmm. much do you really think you're responsible for? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a fun example for that exact reason. The irony of that is like is 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 interesting. Um yeah. but yeah, everything you say yes to is something that the future you is gonna have to do. Mm-hmm. And future you might not want to do that because future might have something better to do or something different to do. Yeah. Um, or something that uh, it would really prefer to be doing that is, is not that. So mm-hmm. every time you say yes to something, you sort of take time away from future self to, to do what they want to do. Yeah. And, and to I have do a what's question. important to them. Sure. Yeah. So what things right now are you saying yes to that you know future Paul will be so glad you said yes to? Um... Yeses that I know are going to be future yeses. The podcast is this big one, mm-hmm. right? Um, cool. Writing, uh, writing some things we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, things I said yes to. Things I said yes to. I don't. I'm not saying. I'm not saying yes a lot. I have some things I said yes to that I'm just need to finish up and be done with. Um, <laughs> well, they might be because I, I'm stealing from my future self by by having said yes to, to a thing or two. Part um, of this is I, I know, know what not you're too doing. Much. Um, what are you uh, saying I've, yes I've to yes, for you? I've said yes to going to the garden and getting some some lettuce. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. future me is going to be happy about that because it's really good lettuce, and I, I know that's I've committed to doing that today. I'm going to really enjoy doing it. Um, God, what else? Can you think of anything that I've said yes to? I'm forgetting something. Um, How about you're going for a lot of walks? I'm going for a lot of walks. Future me will be happy that I'm saying yes to that for a good reason that I'll be alive. 
a little exercise is never a bad thing. I didn't take one this morning, but we were doing some other other stuff. Yes to the meditation group. Um, future me is going to be happy about that. Present me is happy about that too. Um, I mean, how, how often do you have you said yes to something? You immediately regret having said yes to that. It's like most things you said yes to. You immediately regret. Uh, how about saying no to, to them? Yeah. But uh, um, there's some things out there, but it's a shorter list. Yeah. It's a shorter list than things that I've said yes to that I, I wish I would have said no to. That's a longer list. I have a lifetime full of those. Yeah. that's. I'm trying to figure out um, some rules for myself about how to say yes to things that own, that future Sherry is going to be glad about. Um, because, like, a lot of times I can feel it in my body. Like, I'll say yes to something while knowing, like, oh, I can see future Sherry rolling her eyes at you right now. Mm. And I think that's not a bad practice to get into is like, imagine future you thinking back on this moment. How pissed are you at yourself right now? Yeah. Raise your hand if you ever thought, God, why did I say yes to that? In exactly that way, in exact, using exactly those words. Yep. Everyone, everyone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm always trying to do is match my enthusiasm and my energy in a moment for the realism of what I can do. And, you know, like, yeah, like I, I might feel energized about that right now, but in two months when I'm trying to balance teaching other responsibilities, am I going to be excited about this still? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Yeah. And those yeah. responsibilities, you know, that you're competing with, with those, those are those things that you said yes to as well. You know, you do these things by consent. Um, you do these things by consent. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, every every nothing should be off the table when you do that investigation of what you said yes to. You said yes to the job you have. You said yes to all kinds of stuff. You know, yeah. things can be negotiated. And, you know, sometimes a whole change of scenery is in, in course. You know, and, and is due. Sometimes it's a little thing. Sometimes they're huge things that you don't even know that you you said yes to because they seem bigger than your ability to make decisions. But they're not. They're not. You know, um, and it starts with, um, well, if I can say yes or no, whatever it might be, to this little bitty thing, and know that that's a good idea. What are some of the bigger things that I could say yes or no to that I mm -hmm. discovered that I do have? Um, I do have agency over that these actually are decisions that I'm making and some of the decisions that I'm making are decisions that are made for me because I didn't make the decision so I'm sort of stuck in the situation right you know you can reevaluate re your life at any time at any time and you can make a decision to change course at any time will people be disappointed well maybe whose problem is that it's theirs yeah you know, I've noticed that on the subject of boundaries and who we say yes and no to, the only people who seem to have a problem when I say no are people who don't respect or honor boundaries within themselves and within other people. Mm, like, interesting. It, you know, and it's, I think that's, that's very fascinating. Like, um, within my core circle of humans, like, most of those people if I say yes to them, or really, if I say no to them, um, they respect that, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times if I say no 
um, a lot of them will be like, wow, I am so proud of you for mm-hmm. articulating what you want. So, yeah. Yeah, and Elizabeth Gilbert's line that she suggested in this podcast was, uh, I'm not going to be able to do this at this time. Mm-hmm. You don't need to give her a reason. You just can't do it yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, no is a complete sentence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Last summer, around this time, I went to a conference in Baltimore uh, with, um, I guess it was a little later than this, but I went to this conference that I talked to about a lot. I'm so sad I don't get to do that this year. Uh, mm. But one of my friends, who I'm going to meet with here in about 15 minutes, uh, one of my friends got me a little desk plaque that I should get out. It's in my bedroom. And it just says, nope. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good... I Sometimes I think I need to just have that out where I can see it and rem- remember, nope. That's all I need to say. Yeah, I have one of those red staples buttons where you hit it and goes. It has. It says no, and it, yeah. each time you say it, it says it in a different way. It's like nope, no, 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 Not no. It's like get yep, one of those. Yep, no, get one of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, apply it liberally to all affected areas of your life. Yes, like practice saying no. Do it. Yeah, I think that's a good takeaway. I think it is. It's interesting we end up on the word no when we start with, where did we start today, Paul? With mental load. Mental load. I I think, you know, we put a lot of mental load on ourselves and then we accept a lot from other people. What if, Paul, what if we started questioning where our expectations were coming from and got comfortable saying no. Wow, what would be different? Who would we be then? Don't what would we what, what would be different about our lives if, if about our lives if that were true? Um, the prescription for what ails you might be no. 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 For yeah. example, hey Sherry, would you like to talk about this for another hour? No, I would not, Paul Fitzgerald. <laughs> I'm sorry. I cannot I do that at this obligation. time. <laughs> See, I can even say no to you, although I also know that you're not asking that in seriousness because you know and understand my limits. Yeah, I'm being a little coy. I have to be honest. I'm being a little it's coy. True. I know. Being a little coy. So, <sighs> But it was a delight to talk to you today. It was a delight to talk to you, too. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks, Paul. Thank I love our podcast. Yes. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> Thank you for saying yes to our podcast. I I, you know, that is thing. a yes that I I remember... You asking me, and that was a 100% yes that I knew, or at least I hoped, future Sherry would be excited about. And I think, I think I couldn't have even imagined how much future Sherry would be glad that she said yes. I would say the same for future Paul. And if anybody's curious about how to start a podcast, uh, you find a friend or a loved one, or a trusted colleague, or somebody you just enjoy having or conversations with. Or someone that's a little with. of all of those things. Yeah, a little of all those things, and you say, hey, you want to do a podcast? <laughs> Literally, that's how it starts. So you don't that's feel like there's any magic uh, magic wand you have to wave, right? It takes uh, knowing what you want and the guts to, to, to ask, and then and then doing it. And if it's in your heart, and you give yourself the time and the space to do it, um, you will do it, and sometimes that comes at the at the at the uh, at the 
behest of saying no to something else that is not serving you well that you would rather not be doing. So I say go for it. Mm-hmm. That's my soapbox for the day. Indeed. It's a good one. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Sherry. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Cool. Bye, everybody. Bye. Paul and Sherry have a Paul podcast. Paul and Sherry podcast. Yes. 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 Yes.